Psalm 25 is the first poetry in Scripture that follows the Hebrew alphabet in an acrostic pattern. In other words, verse 1 of, Hebrew, uh, of Psalm 25 begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and then each verse of the psalm uh, begins with the next letter until you get to the end. So to use an English example, it would be like if verse 1 began with the letter A, then verse B, uh, 2 with the letter B, verse 3 with the letter C, and so on until you get to the end of the psalm. And other psalms do this. In fact, the book of Lamentations does that over and over again. Uh, but Psalm 25 is the first psalm that has this pattern in Scripture. And today's sermon is titled, Joy. Joy, and will be in Psalm 25. And I thought that since this is an acrostic psalm covering the Hebrew alphabet, that it would be appropriate to look at the ABCs of joy from Psalm 25. The ABCs of joy from Psalm 25. So again, this year we've been picking some different passages. It would be a traditional Advent passage trying to uh, mix it up just a little bit, bit but still cover uh, the traditional themes. And so we're going to look at joy from Psalm 25, the ABCs of joy. So this is a psalm of David. And beginning at verse 1, it says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Let's pause there for just a minute. David starts out the psalm by saying, to you, O Lord. That's the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in your Bible. You'll notice uh, that's because it's uh, talking about Yahweh. This is God's covenant-keeping name. To you, Yahweh, I lift up my soul. Then he gets more personal, verse 2. He says, O my God, I trust in you. You are Yahweh. You are the covenant-keeping, the faithful God, the eternal God who called Abraham who delivered his people from Egypt, who has called me to shepherd your people, David is saying, but you're also my God. And I trust in you. That's a personal relationship there. And he says, let me not be ashamed. This is a big theme in the Psalms, especially in David's life. He fought many battles, fought many enemies, some even from within his own house. We find often that his prayer was, God, don't let me be put to shame before his enemies, specifically is what he's talking about. And then verse 3, he says, indeed, let no one who what? waits on you. Often we are defeated because we have fought our own battles. So he says, let no one who waits on you. I mean, God always wins. So if I make the battle about the Lord and what he's doing, then it's going to be all right. That's when I try to fight my own battles and my strength and have my own results. Well, then it gets pretty sketchy. So David is saying, indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. You know, in these first three verses, what I hear from David is an anticipation of God doing something. He's obviously got something going on in his life. He's saying, God, I'm waiting on you. You're Yahweh. You're the faithful God. You're also my God. And I'm not going to take this battle into my own strength and power, my own hands. I'm going to wait upon you. And I know that as I wait upon you, I won't be ashamed, but my enemies will be put to shame. And so what he's doing is he's making a statement, God, I'm waiting on you, and I'm waiting for you to do what only you can do, and I can't wait for that to happen. 
You know, when you win something, when your team wins, when you have a victory, what accompanies that victory? Joy, right? Celebration. So what David is really saying is, look, I'm waiting for you, Lord, to bring me to that place of joy where I've triumphed over my enemies, that place of victory. I'm looking to you, oh my God, to bring me to that place. So as we look at the ABCs of joy, number one this morning, beginning with A, is uh, if you want to have joy, then a resolved trust in God is the path to joy. A resolved trust in God is the path to joy. You see, joy is not something that just falls in your lap. Oh, there it is. I was looking for that. No, there, there are some definite steps you can take. We see in Scripture towards this path to joy, the path of joy that you can be in joy, have joy now. You're on the path of joy, and yet there is still more to come. You see both things in Scripture. But a resolved trust in God is absolutely essential to be on the path to joy. Now, what does resolved mean? One definition can mean it's done, it's completed. But another way you could describe resolved would be you've really made up your mind, you're set, you're firm about something. So I would just ask you this morning, do you have a resolved trust in God? Have you decided that whatever happens in my life, whatever comes, I trust God? Is that true? Is that settled in your heart? Sometimes we think it's settled and then things come in our life and it reveals it's not really settled. And the circumstances of life or people around us, things, external circumstances show that maybe our trust that we thought in God wasn't quite as settled. I remember a child who shall remain nameless that had hurt her hand when she was a toddler, still sitting in a high chair eating, and she closed her fist because she wanted to protect that cut inside of her hand. And we could not convince her for anything to open her hand. This went on for days, even if I remember right, over a week, just closed fist would not open her hand. So as she's sitting there in her high chair and it's time to eat, have you ever eaten with the closed fist? It doesn't go very well. So we watched this child who had resolved to keep her fist closed try to eat like this from her high chair. Doesn't work very well. But man, it sure taught me something about willpower because even with that closed fist, she'd eventually mash all that food between her hands and get it in there. We know what it is to be resolved about something. We know what it is to say, this is how this is going to be. I've made up my mind. Nobody's going to change it. Do we have that when it comes to trusting God, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, that God is trustworthy? Have I made up my mind, have I put the stake in the ground to say whatever man does to me, whatever this world throws at me, whatever comes, whatever my checkbook looks like, whatever other people say, whatever other people are doing around me or not doing around me, no matter how I'm treated at work or treated by my family, whether my bank account is up or down, whatever happens, I trust God. I've resolved that issue in my heart and in my life. And if you have that resolve, if you have made that decision, if you are firm in that, you are on the path to joy. That's what David is saying is, God, I trust in you. You're going to bring me to that place. You're going to do it. So no matter, even though the enemies come, 
My trust is in you. You know, I remember a time when my younger brother and I had gone to a concert in Fort Worth, and I was 19, 20-ish, probably 20, and he's eight years younger than me, and we lived in Dallas, and we never went to Fort Worth. I was like, I don't live in Dallas. Why would I go to Fort Worth? I was, you know, I don't know what's going on over there. But we went over there for a concert, and we leave, and it's late, and it's dark, and I'm in a city that I'm not real familiar with. So I start heading back. This is before cell phones and GPS that was on every device you had and all that kind of stuff. This is when you had, like, maps goes. Yeah, that kind of thing. And you had to ask for directions before or go on MapQuest and, like, print out your directions to take with you. This is that era, okay? And I didn't do that. So we're on our way home late at night. It's dark. And I start driving the direction. I know Dallas is east, so I start driving that direction. And I see a sign for 35. I was like, oh, yeah, 35. That's in Dallas. So I start going north on 35. Well, I didn't realize at that time that when you're, like, up north in Denton and you're heading south, 35 splits. There's a 35E that goes to Dallas and a 35W that goes to Fort Worth. So I, thinking I'm heading to Dallas, some street, I'm looking, going to start looking for streets I know in Dallas. I'm actually heading to Denton. Just trucking along, late at night, heading to Denton. And I start going, this doesn't look familiar. And my brother's eight years younger than me. At this point, he's no help whatsoever. He doesn't know. He's just starting to get nervous. He's starting to doubt me. He's starting to ask questions. PM, this doesn't look like Dallas. Are you sure? I'm like, yeah, we're on the right road. We're on the right road. No, we were not. I kept hoping that it was going to turn into the right road. But you know what? If you are on the wrong path, It doesn't matter how hard you hope it will turn into the right road. It's not going to happen. There was a time when I had to go, I'm on the wrong path. And I had to exit. And we ended up on some farm-to-market road in Justin, Texas, out in the middle of nowhere. And it went from bad to worse. Because then I'm low on gas. And I didn't know where I was. We just kept heading east. So I finally, by God's grace saw some street that I recognized, and we just kept going east on that until we started seeing things we recognized and eventually made our way home. But again, it didn't matter how bad I hoped that I was on the right path. I was either on the right path or I wasn't. And so for many of us this holiday season, maybe it's time for us to evaluate honestly our own life with the word of God and the spirit of God and say, am I truly on the path to joy? Or is my life more defined by grumbling and complaining and doubting God and fear? Because if you are on those other paths, that's the path you're on. It doesn't matter how much you hope that you're on another path, you're either on that path or you're not. But thank God through Jesus Christ, That as we confess our sins and we turn from our sinful ways and our lack of belief and our grumbling and complaining, we can look to Jesus and we can, in him, be on the path to joy. But that path to joy cannot be separated from a resolved trust in God. That whatever comes, my hope, my trust is in him and I will wait on him. That's what David is declaring at the beginning of the psalm. And then he goes on, verse 4. Show me your ways, O Lord. See, he's saying, I'm going to wait on you, and you show me your ways. 
Teach me your paths. Do you hear the humility in this? He's saying, Lord, I want to know what you want, the path you want me to walk. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I what? I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me. For your goodness' sake, O Lord. Let's pause there for just a minute. I mean, we all want that. We don't want God to look at us in light of our sin, to remember our past mistakes. We want God to see us according to his mercy, according to his goodness. That's what we do with those. We don't want people to uh, rehash where we have failed. We just want to talk about what we've gotten right. And David is saying, God, don't remember me according to my sins, but remember me according to what? Your goodness sake. Lord, I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need you to see me in light of your goodness. Not my own goodness. Not my own self-proclaimed righteousness. I need you to see me according to your mercy and your goodness and your grace. Look at me that way, God. Have mercy on me, God. And you know what? Years and years later, that's exactly what God does through Jesus Christ. That's exactly what God does in Jesus Christ. That if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have turned from your way, that's repentance and put your faith in Jesus, believing that he is the son of God who did come to this world and who did live a sinless perfect life and who did die and who rose again and is seated at the right hand of God and has given us the promise of everlasting life. If you believe upon Jesus, you cast yourself upon Jesus Christ. The mystery of God in Jesus Christ is that God does not see you in your sin anymore but he sees you clothed in the righteousness of his son you know what that alone is a reason for joy amen to realize that almighty God when he sees me he's not keeping score he's not calling to mind what I did He's dealing with me according to his faithfulness, according to his grace, according to his mercy, and that is all wrapped up in Jesus Christ dying on a cross in my place for my sins and rising again for my justification. And then verse eight, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. What a contrast. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners. You'd think if the Lord is good and upright, then he wouldn't want to have anything to do with sinners like ah those people are jerks you know I'm not going to spend any time with them all they do is rebel against me but in God's goodness in his uprightness he comes and teaches us his way so he doesn't leave us to our sin he comes and he brings us in through Jesus to something far better the humble He guides in justice. And the humble, he teaches his way. The humble. You know, if you're still covering up your sin, if you're still trying to justify your sin, then you're still in your sin. It's as we humble ourselves before the Lord. 
that we are reconciled to him, that we find forgiveness. It's that as we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So if you're here today and you're comparing yourself to others to justify your own sin, you're still in your sin. I mean, that's the sin of pride. You're not walking with the Lord. It says the humble he guides in justice. The humble he teaches his way. God's called us to confess, to be honest about where we're at, and to receive his goodness. Amen. Verse 10 says, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. What a great combination that God deals with us in mercy and in truth. To such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. There's that word covenant again. For such as what? As keep. There's no substitute for obedience, my friends. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. We're going to pause there for just a minute. Because what David is saying is he's, he's calling out to God. He's reminding God of, his, of God's goodness. He's saying, God, you are great. You are good. You are all these things. And I need all that you are. And I need it because great is my sin. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon. That means to forgive my sin, for it is great. Do you see how David is being honest with God? Do you see how David is being humble before God? Do you see how David is just coming before God and saying, God, you be God and be merciful to me. So if we look at the ABCs of joy, we've already seen how a resolved trust in God is the path of joy. But second, for the B, I would say before joy is sorrow. Before joy is sorrow. What do I mean by that? Well, before David could know the forgiveness of his sins, he had to be sorrowful for his sins. He had to be broken by the fact that he was a sinner in rebellion against God. He had to come to grips with his own depravity, his own rebellious heart. He had to come clean. Sometimes before sorrow, before joy, excuse me, is sorrow. Now I think that we call this repentance, scripturally. Uh, repentance is what precedes forgiveness. I've said before that repentance is, is one side of the coin and faith is the other. It's like a coin. I, I don't know why I had this. I had a dollar coin in my desk I uh, found this morning. It's got a head on one side. You've got usually have heads and tails. Uh, on a coin. And uh, I've got a head on this side of the coin, and the other side is the Statue of Liberty. So I guess she's the tails, okay? So you've got heads on one side of a coin and tails. Now, these are two sides to what? The same coin. Not two different coins, but two sides to the same coin. When we speak of repentance and faith, we're speaking of two sides to the same coin. That as we believe in Jesus, we are also turning from whatever else we've been trusting in. Maybe you've been trusting in your own good works. You need to repent of that. You need to turn from that to believe in Jesus Christ. So what God is calling us to do, sometimes there is a sorrow that is good and it is right and it is actually very appropriate. And it is a sorrow that is needed as we walk this path of joy. To confess our sin, to turn from it, to repent, 
to believe in Jesus. That's not just at the moment of salvation. That's a part of our daily life as a believer, to constantly turn from trusting in the flesh, to constantly turn from the things of the world, to constantly turn from those things that keep us from Jesus, from walking in obedience to him and to constantly affirm our faith in him over and over again. Sometimes before joy is sorrow. The reason I bring that up is because I think in the United States of America, we don't have a good uh, theology, a good doctrine, a good philosophy of sorrow in the Christian life. And what happens is because we don't have a good doctrine of sorrow, then often when things come into our life that cause us grief and sorrow, it just undoes us. What I mean by that is we've kind of been subconsciously trained Sometimes it's, it's not as subconscious, it's very deliberate. But we've kind of been trained that if you just do the right things, everything in life is supposed to go right. And if it doesn't, well, you know, you've sinned, you've messed up, or somebody has done some injustice to you. And so we kind of have this philosophy that if there are things in your life that cause you grief or sorrow, then you've done something wrong. That somebody else has come in and wronged you. That There's got to be something wrong if there's any sorrow in your life. My friends, that's not biblical. <laughs> it's just not. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. Afflictions righteous. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them all. Do you know what 2 Timothy says? It says those who... De- desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what? Persecutions. Did you know that in this life, as you live this life, you are actually promised sorrow? You are promised times of grief? You are promised persecutions? Solomon said there's a time for everything under the sun. There's a time to live. There's a time to die. There's a time for rejoicing. There's a time for sorrow. Part of living in a sinful, fallen world is that there are times where there is sorrow. There is times where there is grief. There are times where things are not going to go the way that you want them to go. There are times in your life that will be hurtful. Now, why do I say that? I'm like, well, you know, I just want to lift you up with that today. So be encouraged. No. Here's why I tell you that. You know why? Because if you're living in a delusion, then you're going to have a hard time dealing with reality. And there are many people in this world that are living under the delusion that if I go through any hardship, that something must really be wrong in my life. And so when hardships come, it just undoes them. They get angry at God. They get angry at everyone else. They feel entitled. Well, why am I going through this when everybody else has a good life? No, we need to understand that a part of life is sorrow. A part of life, this side of heaven, is grief. A part of life, this side of heaven, is pain. You need to incorporate a theology of pain and suffering into your life so that when that comes, it doesn't undo you. You follow me in that? You know, being a pastor for as long as I have, I'm going to tell you what. There was a 13-year-old girl that had advanced lupus. And I remember being there with her mother and her brother, who still calls me every Father's Day. Are you going to tell me they did something wrong as she's breathing her last breath at Children's Hospital? 
better have a theology of suffering. You better understand that even when that kind of suffering comes, listen, I've said all of that to say this, even when that level of suffering comes, listen, God is still good. You with me? So what I said before is you must have a resolved trust in God. You can't be on the path to joy without that. But as you are on this path to joy, you must understand that there are times where before you experience the joy that the Lord has for you, there will be times of sorrow. Specifically times where maybe you need a sorrow over personal sin. But also you need to understand that there is a level of sin, a level of grief that just exists in a fallen world. And that's what gives us the joy to look forward to that when Jesus comes, he's going to do away with it. The sorrow and the grief and the pain that we experience now, it gives us that hope to go, man, I can't wait for Jesus to return and do away with this. You better have a philosophy, a theology, a doctrine of sorrow, or life will simply undo you. But let's move on to verse 12. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. Let himself uh, he himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. Look, again, you've got to fear the Lord. You have to have a healthy respect for God. You know, you don't go to the zoo and jump into the lion cage, right? I mean, if you do, you need help. Uh, you don't go into the tiger cage. You don't go into the bear cage, you know, start rubbing beef jerky all over yourself and be like, hey, what's going on? You know, that's foolish. You understand that would... It's a dumb thing to do. It is equally foolish of us to not fear God. And we live in a world that right now is doing everything it can to remove God, to live in rebellion against him. And then instead of repenting of our sins, we're trying to create our own fixes for it. There are commercials now for medicines that help you continue to live in sexual immorality and deal with AIDS. Let's not talk about the fact that sex outside of marriage between one man and one woman is sin. Let's just create medicines to try to help us continue to live in sin against God. That's just one example of over and over again where what is going on in this world is a world that is living in rebellion against God, not fearing God, not heeding the warnings of God, but just trying to continue to patch our sinful behavior. And there's coming a day when Jesus will return and every mouth will be stopped and everyone will give an account. It's much better to fear the Lord and live for him now than to face him in that day in rebellion against him. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him he shall teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity and his descendants shall inherit the earth. Look at that promise. Now verse 14, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant. I'm gonna come back to that at the end. What a great verse though. My eyes are ever toward the Lord for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Again, what a contrast. He's saying my feet are in the net. 
that, that's an imagery for being trapped. He's being snared. He's in a difficult spot. But because he has a theology of suffering, because he has a resolved trust in God, he is still on the path to joy. He's saying, my feet are, feet are trapped. It looks like I'm ensnared. It looks like my end has come, but my eyes are where? Fixed on the Lord. You see that? The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Uh, excuse me, verse 16, I skipped a verse. Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. He's going through a difficult time. He's acknowledging it. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. There's nothing wrong with praying that way. Lord, I, I'm in distress. I need you to deliver me. Help me. I don't, I don't like being in this situation. Look at my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. But you see what he's doing? He's not wasting his suffering. He's saying, God, what, whatever of my sin is contributing to this mess I'm in, I, I can at least deal with that. The other things that are beyond my control, but the one thing I can do is deal with my own heart by your grace. So God, deal with me. Forgive all my sins. Verse 19, consider my enemies for they are many and they hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed. There it is again. He's ending how he began. Let me not be ashamed for I put my what? My trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me. See, he's obeying the Lord. For I what? I wait on you. And then the last verse, this is so interesting because he goes from a very personal psalm and he makes it more communal. He says, redeem who? Israel. He's talking about all of the people of God. Now he's saying redeem Israel. He's saying it's not just about me. It's about the people of God. God, redeem, save, deliver your people, oh God, out of all their troubles. That brings us to our third and our final point today is this. Thinking about this path that we're on and and we've already had an A and a B and now a C. The C is this. Consider the end to remain on the path. You need to consider the end to remain on the path. Because as you are on the path to joy, there are many things, there are many people that will try to knock you off. Knock you off center. And we've talked about this before. You realize that it only takes a small, a small trajectory change over time adds up to a whole lot. If you're on this path and you begin to just divert by a little bit, what happens as you continue on that diverted path? You get further and further and further away. So you need to consider the end. Look forward to. Focus on the promises of God in Jesus Christ. Where you're headed, consider the end to remain on the path. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 with me for just a minute. Because as always, we have an example of this in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, beginning at verse 1, says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which also ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Again, this path, this sense of we need to keep on the path, we need to finish. It's not about just taking a short burst and being faithful. It's about the long run. And they say, look, consider the end. Endure. Well, how are we going to do that? Look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus. Jesus is always the answer, isn't he? 
Looking unto Jesus. How do we endure? Look to Jesus. How do I persevere? Look to Jesus. How do I remain faithful? Look to Jesus. How do I defeat sin? Look to Jesus. He's always going to be the answer. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who began it and the one who is the end of it, who for the joy, the what? The joy that was, look, set before him. What did he do for the joy that was set before him? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That as Jesus, the creator of the world, is hanging on a cross, the sinless son of God is bearing my sin. What was he looking to, to keep him there, to keep him from just turning this whole world to dust and ash? As Jesus was hanging on the cross and they said, you saved others, you can't save yourself. As Jesus was being mocked, what kept Jesus on the cross? What kept him from coming down and saying, now I'm going to show you who's boss, you're in trouble now. What kept him hanging on the cross as Jesus bled, as God bled, as the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world? What kept him on the cross paying the penalty for the sins of the world, not the sins he had committed, but the sins of his own creation? What kept him there? The joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. People have debated what is the joy that was set before him. Yes, it could have involved his resurrection and his, his ascension to the right hand of the Father. Yes, it could be regarding the glory of God. But I think as we look at all of Scripture and we see that in Christ we are made a priesthood of believers, that in Christ we are actually enthroned with Jesus spiritually right now, that we are a kingdom of priests unto God, when we see that all that takes place in our life and all that God does for us in and through Jesus, I think that it becomes clear that at least part of the joy that was set before him was you. That as he hung on the cross, he realized, as I die, I know I will raise again, and I'm going to take my people from darkness to light. That as I die, I know I will rise again. And I know I'm going to take my people who are not a people, and they will be my people. That as I die, I'm going to take those who are in rebellion against my Father, and I'm going to make them a kingdom of priests unto God. He was looking at you. He was looking to the joy of what he would do in your life through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so again, where do we find hope? Where do we endure? We look to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. And this morning, the ABCs of joy, a resolved trust in God is the path to joy. But sometimes before joy is sorrow, and you know what? You better consider the end to remain on the path. Look at where you're headed. Consider where you're headed. You know, I want to close with this. Some of you that are, especially those of you that are joining us by live stream, you need to consider the path that you're on by not coming back to worship with us. Now look, I'm not going to get political right now, and I'm going to limit my meddling. But listen to me very carefully. It's been almost two years 
since COVID started. Been of a lot of advancements that have come out. There are a lot of things that you can do for your own health. You need to consider the path. When are you going to stop staying at home and re-engage in the world? When are you going to come back and worship with other believers in Jesus Christ? God did not make us to stay apart. He made us to be together. And I realize that there are those with underlying health issues, and I am not a medical doctor, and I'm not your family, some of you. And so you have to make your own decisions. But I want to encourage you to consider the path you're on. It's been almost two years. Isn't it time to come back, worship with your fellow believers? Isn't it time to serve again? Isn't it time to re-engage with what God is doing at First Baptist Church, Liberty City? I would encourage you, if it is the remotest possibility, you need to be back. You need to be back this next Sunday. God has something in store for us. God has hope and he has joy and he has peace for us in Jesus Christ. And I, for one, I'm just not going to let Satan rob it. I'm just not. And so we are going to look up and we're going to look out and we are going to consider the path we're on as a church. And we're going to make sure that we are walking in the victory that Jesus Christ has purchased for us. So I want to close with Psalm 2514. We already read it once. It says, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. The secret of the Lord, the mystery of God, I think, is often a reference to the fact that God came, and he died, and he rose again, and that through faith in him, there is everlasting life. That's the mystery of God. And the secret of God is with those who fear him. Today, have you ever truly come to tremble before a holy God, confessing your sins, placing your trust in him, believing that Jesus has died, that he has risen again, and that through faith in him, you can have everlasting life? If you haven't, today is your day, because tomorrow is not guaranteed. Will you turn from your way? Will you put your faith in Jesus and be saved? But again, for us as a church, man, I'm going to just tell you, I'm be transparent right now, I had to repent of a downcast spirit this last week because God has not called me to that. He's called me to joy in Jesus Christ. And if there is grumbling, if there is complaining, if there's a lack of faith, if there are these things in your life, you better consider the path that you're on. Would you please stand with me? Again, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to have a song of response. We're responding to God. We're responding to who he is, who he is in our midst. He is a God who saves. And if you've never put your faith in Christ into salvation, today is the day. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation to turn from your way and to truly know the joy that is found in none other than Jesus Christ our Lord. And guess what? There's hundreds of people here that would love to share in that joy and rejoice with you as you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But for some of us, again, as believers, it's time to get over the pity party. It's time to get over the excuses. It's time to get over the grumbling and the complaining. It's time to check what path we're on and look to Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame.
I'm going to pray. I'm going to be standing down front. This is our invitation time. This is our time to invite you to Jesus. As he leads you, respond. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you that you are in our midst. And in you, we have joy. It's a joy that can't be taken. It just can't. Because you're the source of it. Forgive us for how we get knocked off center or derailed. We allow that joy to be taken. Thank you for this Advent season and a reminder that not only did you come and did you die, but you're going to return one day. We have a lot to be excited about. So help us to be found faithful this day, rejoicing in who you are as our Lord and Savior. If there's one that has not yet put their faith in you, may today be the day of salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.